the Law School of America. Types of Liability. Section 2 of the Restatement 3rd, of Torts, Products Liability distinguishes between three major types of product liability claims. Manufacturing Defect. Design Defect, and Failure to Warn, also known as Marketing Defects. However, in most states, these are not legal claims in and of themselves, but are pleaded in terms of the legal theories mentioned above. For example, a plaintiff might plead negligent failure to warn or strict liability for defective design. The three types of product liability claims are defined as follows. Manufacturing defects are those that occur in the manufacturing process and usually involve poor quality materials or shoddy workmanship. In other words, the defective product differs from the others on the same assembly line and does not conform to the manufacturer's intended design. Design defects occur where the product design is inherently dangerous or useless, and hence defective, no matter how carefully manufactured. In other words, the defective product is the same as every other one on the same assembly line because it is exactly what the manufacturer designed and intended to build, but the plaintiff is contending that the design itself is defective. The third restatement expressly prefers to measure defective design in terms of whether the product design's risks outweigh its benefits, and expressly deprecates the consumer expectations test associated with Section 402A of the second restatement. As noted above, state courts either use one test or the other or both. The third restatement also places the burden of proof on the plaintiff to prove that risks outweigh benefits by proving the feasibility of a safer alternative design. Failure to warn defects arise in products that carry inherent non-obvious dangers which can be mitigated through adequate warnings to the user, and which are present regardless of how well the product is manufactured and designed for its intended purpose. This class of defects also includes failure to provide relevant product instructions or sufficient product warnings. Theories of Liability In the United States, the claims most commonly associated with product liability are negligence, strict liability, breach of warranty, and various consumer protection claims. Breach of Warranty Warranties are statements by a manufacturer or seller concerning a product during a commercial transaction. Warranty claims historically required privity between the injured party and the manufacturer or seller. In plain English, they must be dealing directly with one another. As noted above, this requirement was demolished in the landmark Henningsen case. Breach of warranty-based product liability claims usually focus on one of three types. 1. Breach of an express warranty. 2. Breach of an implied warranty of merchantability, and 3. Breach of an implied warranty of fitness for a particular purpose. Express warranty claims focus on express statements by the manufacturer or the seller concerning the product, for example, this chainsaw is useful to cut turkeys. The various implied warranties cover those expectations common to all products, for example, that a tool is not unreasonably dangerous when used for its proper purpose, unless specifically disclaimed by the manufacturer or the seller. They are implied by operation of law from the act of manufacturing, distributing, or selling the product. Claims involving real estate, especially mass-produced tract housing, may also be brought under a theory of implied warranty of habitability. Negligence. A basic negligence claim consists of proof of 1. A duty owed. 2. A breach of that duty. 3. The breach was the cause in fact of the plaintiff's injury, actual cause. 4. The breach proximately caused the plaintiff's injury, and 5. The plaintiff suffered actual quantifiable injury or damages. As demonstrated in cases such as Winterbottom v. Wright, the scope of the duty of care was limited to those with whom one was in privity. Later cases like McPherson v. Buick Motor Company broadened the duty of care to all who could be foreseeably injured by one's conduct. Over time, 
negligence concepts have arisen to deal with certain specific situations, including negligence per se, using a manufacturer's violation of a law or regulation, in place of proof of a duty and a breach, and res ipsa loquitur, an inference of negligence under certain conditions. Strict liability. Rather than focus on the behavior of the manufacturer, as in negligence, strict liability claims focus on the product itself. Under strict liability, the manufacturer is liable if the product is defective, even if the manufacturer was not negligent in making that product defective. Under a strict liability theory, the plaintiff merely needs to prove the defendant manufactured, distributed, or supplied a product. The product was defective. The defect caused injury to the plaintiff, and as a result, the plaintiff sustained damages. Consumer protection. In addition to common law remedies, many states have enacted consumer protection statutes that provide specific remedies for certain specific types of product defects. One reason for the appearance of such statutes is that under the economic loss rule, strict liability and tort is unavailable for products that cause damage only to themselves. In other words, strict liability is unavailable for defects that merely render the product unusable, or less useful, and hence cause only economic injury, but do not cause personal injury or damage to other property. Breach of warranty actions governed by Article 2 of the Uniform Commercial Code also often fail to provide adequate remedies in such situations. The best-known examples of consumer protection statutes for product defects are lemon laws, which provide protection to purchasers of defective new vehicles and, in a small number of states, used vehicles. In the United States, cars are typically the second most valuable asset most people own, outranked only by their home. Europe Although European observers followed Greenman and Section 402A with great interest, European countries did not initially adopt such a doctrine. For example, after the landmark case of Donahue v. Stevenson, which followed McPherson, UK product liability law did not change any further for many decades, despite trenchant academic criticism. Strict liability for defective products finally came to Europe as a result of the thalidomide scandal and the victims' ensuing struggle during the 1960s to obtain adequate compensation especially in the UK and West Germany. The thalidomide scandal highlighted the need for a strict product liability claim sounding in tort because the affected infants were mere bystander victims, as distinguished from product buyers or users. After the UK formed the National Health Service, NHS, in 1948, 80% of pharmaceuticals were provided to patients through the NHS. By assuming financial responsibility for the provision of drugs, the government had thereby barred the majority of mothers, the actual product users, and their infants from bringing breach of warranty claims sounding in contract. For such victims, their only possible claim was a negligence claim sounding in tort, but it is so difficult under English law to prove the standard of care of a reasonable drug manufacturer that as of late 1993, none had ever been held liable in an English court under a negligence theory, although there had been a number of out-of-court settlements. The first international effort in Europe to harmonize product liability resulted in the Council of Europe Convention on Products Liability in regard to personal injury and death, the Strasbourg Convention, in 1977, which never entered into force. While it was signed by Austria, Belgium, France, and Luxembourg, it was ratified by none of them. On July 25, 1985, the then European Economic Community adopted the Product Liability Directive. In language resembling what Trainer wrote in Escala and Greenman, the directive's preface states that liability without fault on the part of the producer is the sole means of adequately solving the problem, peculiar to our age of increasing technicality, of a fair apportionment of the risks inherent in modern technological production. The directive gave each member state the option of imposing a liability cap of 70 million euros per defect. Unlike the United States, 
the directive only imposed strict liability upon producers that is, manufacturers of raw materials, component parts, and finished products, as well as importers, and deviated significantly from the American model by deciding not to impose strict liability on purely domestic distributors or retailers. By using the 20-year-old Section 402A as their model, the directive's drafters decided not to include a number of changes such as the subsequent differentiation between three major types of product defects used in the U.S. As of 2003, on the one hand, product liability had expanded around the world within the past two decades to become a global phenomenon, and therefore, the United States is no longer the only country with tough product liability rules. On the other hand, the picture looked very different when one turned from the law on the books to the law in action. In the real world, the actual protection afforded to consumers by product liability law depends heavily on whether claims are realistically enforceable, and that depends upon whether the procedural law of the forum state is actually able to facilitate access to justice. Traditionally, European courts have provided no discovery or rather minimal discovery, by American standards. Where available, European discovery is rarely self-executing, that is, automatically effective by operation of law, meaning that the defendant and third parties have no obligation to disclose anything unless and until the plaintiff obtains a court order. Civil law countries strongly dislike and oppose the American principle of broad discovery in civil litigation. For example, since 1968, it has been a crime for a French company to produce commercial information in foreign legal proceedings without express authorization from a French court, and in turn, this has been raised as a defense to discovery by French defendants in American product liability cases. Since the defendant usually possesses most of the extant evidence of a product defect, in most European countries it is very difficult, if not impossible, for a victim or her lawyer to investigate a product liability case. Other obstacles, especially in civil law countries, include high filing fees, no right to a jury trial, low damages for pain and suffering, the unavailability of punitive damages, and the unavailability, before the 2010s, of class actions. As of 2003, there was no country outside of the United States where plaintiffs were able to recover non-economic damages above $300,000 for even the most catastrophic injuries. As of 2015, product liability in Europe has remained a fairly minor field which generates fewer cases, more modest awards, and rarely makes it into the headlines, in comparison to its American cousin. As of 2020, the much smaller number of cases in the UK meant that English case law had barely begun to consider many of the product liability issues already explored thoroughly by American courts, which therefore required an English legal treatise to cite to a significant proportion of American cases in order to illustrate where English product liability law could go in the future. During the late 2010s, the comparative outcomes for consumers affected by the Volkswagen emissions scandal vividly highlighted the deficiencies of European civil procedure as applied to a defendant who had already publicly admitted to violations of U.S. environmental laws. In the United States, Volkswagen quickly settled the consolidated consumer class action and agreed to pay $11.2 billion directly to consumers affected by its allegedly defective diesel vehicles. In contrast, consumers in Europe and elsewhere around the world had to fight much longer and harder for less compensation. This embarrassed Germany into dropping its long-standing opposition to European collective redress proposals, and the country also made reforms to its domestic civil procedure. As a result, on November 25, 2020, the European Parliament and Council adopted the Directive on Representative Actions. The Directive is expressly intended to improve consumers' access to justice. Other Nations the legislatures of many other countries outside the EU, then the EEC, subsequently enacted strict liability regimes based on the European model, that is, generally applying only to manufacturers and importers, including Israel, March 1980, 
based on an early proposed draft of the directive, Brazil, September 1990, Peru, November 1991, Australia, July 1992, Russia, February 1992, Switzerland, December 1992, Argentina, October 1993, Japan, June 1994, Taiwan, June 1994, Malaysia, August 1999, South Korea, January 2000, Thailand, December 2007, and South Africa, April 2009. As of 2015, in most countries outside of the United States and European Union, product liability remains largely a regime of paper rules with little practical impact. Applicable law. The law that needs to be applied in product liability cases is governed by the Convention on the Law Applicable to Products Liability of 1971 for the 11 countries that are party to it. The country where the damage occurred determines the applicable law, if that country is also the residence of the person suffering damage, the principal place of business of the person held liable or the place where the product was bought. If that is not the case, the law of the country of residence is used, provided the product was bought there, or it was the principal place of business of the person held liable. Debate over strict liability laws. Advocates of strict liability laws argue that strict products liability causes manufacturers to internalize costs they would normally externalize. Strict liability thus requires manufacturers to evaluate the full costs of their products. In this way, strict liability provides a mechanism for ensuring that a product's absolute good outweighs its absolute harm. Between two parties who are not negligent, manufacturer and consumer, one will necessarily shoulder the costs of product defects. Proponents say it is preferable to place the economic costs on the manufacturer because it can better absorb them and pass them on to other consumers. The manufacturer thus becomes a de facto insurer against its defective products, with premiums built into the product's price. Strict liability also seeks to diminish the impact of information asymmetry between manufacturers and consumers. Manufacturers have better knowledge of their own product's dangers than do consumers. Therefore, manufacturers properly bear the burden of finding, correcting, and warning consumers of those dangers. Strict liability reduces litigation costs, because a plaintiff need only prove causation, not imprudence. Where causation is easy to establish, parties to a strict liability suit will most likely settle, because only damages are in dispute. Critics charge that strict liability creates risk of moral hazard. They claim that strict liability causes consumers to underinvest in care even when they are the least cost avoiders. This, they say, results in a lower aggregate level of care than under a negligence standard. Proponents counter that people have enough natural incentive to avoid inflicting serious harm on themselves to mitigate this concern. Critics charge that requiring manufacturers to internalize costs they would otherwise externalize increases the price of goods. Critics claim that in elastic, price-sensitive markets, price increases cause some consumers to seek substitutes for that product. As a result, they say, manufacturers may not produce the socially optimal level of goods. Proponents respond that these consumer opt-outs reflect a product whose absolute harm outweighs its absolute value. Products that do more harm than good ought not be produced. In the law and economics literature, there is a debate about whether liability and regulation are substitutes or complements. If they are substitutes, then either liability or regulation should be used. If they are complements, then the joint use of liability and regulation is optimal. The Law School of America the content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. 
the Law School of America.